0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm so thankful that God has brought us all here today to gather together and study His Word. We have an interesting service today. Uh, I'm going to get into it, but let's pray. Let's ask God to bless the service and bless our understanding and bless my mouth. And then we'll get to studying. Lord, thank you as always, Lord, for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for... Gathering the faithful believers here together, Lord God, to you. We even pray for those uh, that are gathered online and those that couldn't be with us here today. And we just ask that you bless them and, Lord, that somehow they would hear the word somewhere, somehow this week, Lord God, just to keep getting your word in them. Because, Lord, we know that your word is what changes us, Lord. We can't change ourselves, Lord, and only by your word and only through your Holy Spirit. Can we experience any change in our lives or, or can we, you know move on and, and have a relationship with you, Lord, only through your word and through prayer. So I just pray for all those that are listening to the service, wherever they are, all over the world. I just ask that you would wrap your arms around them today, Lord, and give them a big hug and just show them how much you love them, Lord God, just like you do us every day. Thank you for this message that you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for the, those folks that are listening to Gospel Saving Church all over the world and in my home here today, Lord. I pray we'd all be endowed with your wisdom, Lord. I pray you'd teach us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, today. And that you'd give us wisdom, Lord, and help us to know how to apply what we hear today to our lives. And Lord, may we all be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Bless this service and keep the devil out, Lord. Keep any distractions out, Lord. and Help us to focus on you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So the title of our service today is called The Atonement. That's a little different today than it's been normally. 99.9% of the time here I teach what they call expositionally, where I teach verse by verse. And I just start at one verse. We started at Matthew one a couple years ago or so, and now we're at Matthew 17. We're getting through Matthew 17. But today we're going to take a step back, and I'm going to actually teach on a topic today. It's something I saw in Scripture as I was studying for... As I was praying, actually, this week at my job unto the Lord, I was praying, and God showed me something about uh, the scripture that we studied last week, and it was uh, an amazing little revelation that I had, and I never saw it that way before, but I was so blessed to uh, see what I saw, to hear what I heard from the Lord. So I'm going to read a few verses of last week's message, and then we're going to get into it. Matthew 17:5 through 8. Matthew 17, 5 through 8. Verse 5, 17, Matthew 17. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But when Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid, And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And remember, they weren't scared anymore. Now, like I said earlier, if you were here last week or you listened last week, you might be saying, Pastor Ed, we already studied those verses. Why are we going back? Well, there's a reason. I'm not going to teach the exact same way I did last week. I have a new topic, as I said earlier. It's called the atonement. Because God showed me a very interesting parallel between that little interaction between God and the disciples and Jesus on the mountain and this parallel. What is that parallel? What did I see? What did God show me this week? I saw a parallel in the atonement of Jesus Christ in that interaction. Now, if you can't see it, it's okay. That's okay. I'm going to take us through it. Hopefully, you'll see it as I take you through it. I believe I'm going to show you, I hope that you'll see what God showed me. So I'm going to take a quick look at these verses and just highlight the points that God showed me in overview. And then uh, I'll break it down and then we're really going to focus on the atonement this week only. Not mainly the verses, but the atonement of Jesus Christ for the sins of man. So Matthew 17, 5, what do we read? God shows up from the cloud. He speaks from this cloud, tells mankind, follow my son. Matthew 17:6, disciples hear him, they fall down fearful, really limp and useless because they're absolutely afraid of God. 17:7, 7, Jesus steps in, he touches the disciples. He says, "Don't be afraid." They look up and they're not afraid. And Matthew 17:8, they stop being afraid and they look up. And actually 17:9, they actually started to follow him because they weren't afraid anymore. How do I see the atonement in this? How did God show me the atonement in this? I see what I saw this week from God, I believe. The same way Jesus Christ stepped in between God Almighty and the disciples and gave them peace right here in Matthew 17 is the same way he stepped in and atoned for our sins by his death on the cross and made peace between God and mankind. I saw an absolute interesting parallel, and it really hit me hard this week, how... Jesus stepped in between us and God, God's wrath and our sin, and made peace between us and God, in the same way Jesus Christ stepped in here, in between the disciples and God, and God kind of went away, not that he can ever go away, but God, you know, left the scene, he stopped talking, and the disciples stopped being scared. Now, the disciples were not sinning in their actions against God or against Jesus Christ here, but they still were standing as sinners before God. Because guess what? The Bible says that we're all sinners. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And they had no atoning sacrifice for their sin while they stood there before God and Jesus Christ with Moses and Elijah. And so when they didn't have the atoning sacrifice, notice they were scared. They were scared of God because they didn't have that atoning sacrifice. Much like Revelation 20. We'll look at that at the very end of our service. Where the dead who are also without a sacrifice stand before God and they're afraid and fearful of everything and all creation is. So I definitely see the beautiful atonement of Christ for all men in this interaction on this mountain. So that's it for those verses, believe it or not. Right now, God's given it to me. Put it on my heart. We're going to talk about the atonement. So many people in our world today have no idea what the atonement means. They don't even know the word, what that word means. They don't know the definition. They don't know what it means. So that's why we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about the atonement. It's a topic that I don't really know that I've ever heard anybody talk about. Bits and pieces out of different sermons, but never have I heard anybody ever really make, you know, start to finish. What does it mean? What's it all about? a good description of it, why it had to happen, so on and so forth, and that's what we're going to do today. I saw that in the scripture, and God led me to make a, make, a, make a, just a sermon about just the atonement of Jesus Christ and why it had to be. So if you're ever wondering why, why is there atonement? What does it mean, Pastor Ed? I don't understand. What, what is the atonement? Why do we have to have it? Well, you're going to hear it today. You're going to hear about the atonement of Jesus Christ today and why it's so important. So we'll start off first with the definition of the word atonement. The definition of the word atonement by dictionary.com reads satisfaction or reparation for a wrong or an injury, you could say done, or to make amends. That's the very first definition of the word atonement atonement by dictionary.com. Now, the other two or three were all about Christ and religious and so on and so forth, but that is the non-biased one. That's just what the word atonement means even in our English language, our vernacular. If you said the word atonement, that doesn't necessarily mean Jesus. That meant that you were making amends. If you were atoning for somebody, you were making amends for something they had done wrong. In other words, uh, you could say a payment given for a wrong that was done. Somebody uh, came up and they smashed your car. And they leave a note on the window, because you're not there, call me on this number, I'll make atonement for the injury, you know, for the damage that I just did, you know, to your car. You'd call them up, they, here, here's a thousand bucks, or whatever it is, I'm making atonement for the damage, the, you know, the injury, you could say, done to your car. So why does God need to make an atonement, or payment, or amends for our sin? Because that's what the Bible says, that God made atonement for our sins. The Bible says that our sin separated us from God. We got to see it actually, you know, very first off in the very first of creation, we got to see it when Adam and Eve sinned against God by eating the forbidden fruit, the, the, the fruit from the, tr- from, the knowledge, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis chapter 3. The results of that sin from Adam and Eve, let's look at them. I'm going to show you each one as a result of their sin. God gave them one command. Do not eat from the tree of the good of, of the knowledge of good and evil. But they couldn't do it. The serpent came, tempted them, and they broke that law of God. So let's look at them. I want to just look at the repercussions, the consequences that they had for breaking the, the one law God gave them to break. Because this set all creation, the Bible says, into sin, a bondage of sin. Revelation 3.8, they ate the fruit, immediately they saw they were naked, what did they do? They hid themselves from God. They separated themselves from God. That's where the separation came when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, they separated themselves from God, Revelation, or I'm sorry, Genesis 3.8. Genesis 3.16, to Eve, God comes in and says, all right, so you've done this. You've broken my law. You've broken my commandment. Here's what's going to happen to you. You've already been separated. Here, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain you shall bring forth child, children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So that was the wife. And we see that to this day. Women are still in subjection to the man and a woman's place is next to her husband. So that's God's, you know, in a sense, that's the repercussion, the consequence of you know, Eve's sin and all this. To Adam, Genesis three seventeen through 19, to Adam, cursed is the ground for your sake. Adam gets a little bit worse than Eve does. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles you shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken from dust. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return." So the result of their sin against God's one law was a whole bunch of hardships came upon mankind. And we still see that we're still in them today. But the worst part of their sin was not the consequences that they had to, you know, in the flesh. That was bad, yes. But the worst part of it was that they actually separated themselves from God by their sin. The Bible says, Jesus said, or the, the word says, I should say, whatever a man sows, that is what he'll reap. So they broke God's law, and so what happened is the repercussion for that law that they broke came. No different than it would be a law if you jumped out of a 10-story building without a parachute and without, not a net below, what's going to happen? You're going to go splat on the ground. If you uh, are in a car and you're speeding 120 miles an hour and you're going through a school zone at 20, chances are there could be death there as well too. That if you break law, there's going to be a consequence for your breaking of that law. On this separation from God, though, because notice they were separated from God, God had one more thing to say here, though. The Bible says that before Adam's sin, God walked in the cool of the garden with him and spoke with him face to face. After the sin, the Bible says that God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden and they were no longer to walk with God and see him face to face anymore. So this is what the separation. This is where that separation came. Even after they sinned, God's, you know, and they got separated, they were always separated. They were never their relationship was never the same with God. They were always separated from God from that point on. In fact, we read Moses, God tell Moses in Exodus 33:20, you cannot see my face For no man shall see me and live. Before this, Adam and Eve actually walked with God in the the garden in the cool of the eve, in the cool of the day. God would come in. He would talk to them face to face. They would maybe eat. I don't know if they ate with God. They just had a relationship, an intimate, like a husband-wife relationship would have. They saw each other and they were with one another. Now, after the sin... The separation. They could no longer, God kicks them out. They no longer see God anymore. They just kind of, you know, they they know that God's there and the, the relationship changes a lot. Moses was the last man that actually was close to God, period. Moses was the only one that actually from Adam and Eve, he was the closest one that got to, in essence, be the nearest to God. We have an account in Exodus where we read that when God, you know, when God calls Moses up on the mountain and he puts Moses behind this rock, because God, you know, Moses is kind of asking, God, can I see you? And then God tells him, here, you can't see me or you can't see my face. You know, you you wouldn't live if you did. I'm too holy for you. So God puts him behind this rock, and Moses just gets to see the glory of God passing by. But that's the closest man that ever got to be near to God after Adam and Eve. Paul speaks about this position of God Almighty towards mankind after sin in 1 Timothy 6.16. He speaks of God Almighty, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, who no man has seen or can see, to whom be glory and honor and everlasting power. So sin is the reason that mankind needs an atonement from God. That's where the atonement came from in the first place, is because man sinned against God. Where do we see the atonement and what happened with Adam and Eve and God in the garden? We see it in Genesis 3.21. God actually took a step because of man's disobedience, because of man's sin, and God stepped in and made an atonement for man. We read, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. That right there was the very first atonement that God had made for the sin of mankind. Notice what God had to do there. Well, he made tunics, For Adam and Eve. Well how do you get tunics? These were skins of animals. Well how do you get the skin of an animal unless you what? You have to kill the animal to get the skin off the animal. So there we saw the very first death of an animal and we saw the very first atonement for the sins of mankind because Adam and Eve broke God's law. He had to kill an innocent animal to use its skin to cover our shame and our nakedness by making a tunic, the first death of the first animal. But unfortunately, it didn't stop there. If you read actually the whole first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we see that God actually laid this down as a pattern. He gave it to Moses as a Levitical law in Exodus. We saw the sacrifices of animals, all throughout those first five books in the Old Testament, that's what man was supposed to do in order to clean their sin or to cover their sin, you'd say, before God Almighty, because that's what he laid down. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So without the shedding of all those the blood of those animals, so the first five books of the Old Testament, and then all, I mean, Jews aren't doing it today. They have the Day of Atonement, but they still should be, because under the Levitical law, which they say that they're still under without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins and so technically the jews who have a day of atonement that's not really cleansing their sin according to god's old testament they actually still would need to sacrifice animals but that's been taken away from them they've had to stop that but why so you may be asking yourself why pastor why did all these innocent animals have to die to make atonement for people's sins is god some kind of mean and evil brute uh, I would say absolutely not. In fact, by the death of these poor animals, it's just the opposite. He's actually very loving and very kind and very, you know, concerned about us. And I will explain. But back to Adam's sin, first of all. Because the Bible says God is love. So you've got to understand, even when we see something that we see God do in his word, it may not see very love, seem very loving. It is loving because God is love, the Bible tells us. You see, Adam... God told Adam that the consequence of his sin, if he were to eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in Genesis 2.17, he says that in the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, you will die. Notice God gave the punishment to Adam for that sin. And the day you eat of it, you shall die. Paul confirms that the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. So the Bible always comments on itself, Paul confirms that. So when Adam and Eve sinned before God and they ate that fruit, that forbidden fruit off that tree, they literally died. Now, did they die a physical death? Did they drop down dead right there and, and, and die a physical death? Absolutely not. That wasn't the kind of death that God was talking about. The kind of death that God was speaking of was a spiritual death. Look at Genesis 3, 6 and 7 if you want to go. And it talks about the account when they blew it, when they, you know, sinned before God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this forbidden tree, this forbidden fruit tree, that it was pleasant to the eyes and and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Listen, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Did you notice after they sinned, they noticed that they had sinned and they noticed now we need something to cover ourselves because we don't feel right. They experienced the very for the very first time a separation from God because of their disobedience right after Genesis three, eight. They hid from God, that separation that I talked about earlier, and hence started facing the penalty or consequences for their sin. And all mankind as well, because the Bible says, since all mankind came from Adam and Eve, and we all originate from them and their ancestors, then their consequence for sin became ours, because we were really birthed through them. Even modern science backs up the fact that All creation, all people in the world all come from an Eve. They don't believe it's the Eve of the Bible, of course, because they believe in evolution, but they believe that all modern man comes from one person, one woman. And they call her Eve, but so does the Bible because it's Adam and Eve. So we all came from them, hence their sin passed on to us by our genes in our genetics. They sinned and they became separated from God, and so, so did we. And please understand, since that was a spiritual death that they died and not a physical one, the Bible describes the spiritual death as a permanent separation before God and man. And by permanent, I mean heaven and hell here now. I'm not talking about just a, you know, some kind of one-time thing that happens. When you're separated from God because of your sin, you're permanently separated by, you know, from God by your sin until an atonement is to be made or until you make an atonement for your sin between God. So after Adam and Eve sinned, they were literally on their way to hell. So they had harmony with God before the sin. Remember, they walked with God in the garden in the cool of the eve, and they spoke with him and saw him face to face. After the sin, God became their enemy. They had made God their enemy. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, ask them. If you get to meet them, ask them. Because they hid from God. Well, you don't hide from a friend. If he's a friend, if somebody's your friend, you don't hide from him. You answer their calls, and you make meetings, and you have lunches, and you have dinners. But there they hid from God. So God became their enemy after their sin. So again, why did all these poor animals have to die? Because, you see, God longed to bring Adam and Eve back into a beautiful, harmonious relationship with him. And the death of the animals was the only way. But why did it have to be the death of the animals? Okay, we read, you know, that the sin, you know, that their blood and their, their death atones for our sin. But why? You may be asking why. Why did it have to be animals? Why did it have to be their blood? Why did they have to die for our sins? Well, you see, the Bible says that God is a righteous judge. He's actually the righteous judge of all the earth. And see, a righteous judge has has to punish sin, has to punish a person who commits a crime. Okay? If a righteous judge doesn't give punishment to someone that commits a crime, then he's not righteous. Would you agree? Absolutely. If a judge, let's, let's, I want to give it to you in a clear picture. Look at it like this. Some person were to come into your house and kill your family. And then they get caught and they stand before the judge. If that judge did not pronounce them guilty and either sentence them to a life in prison or the death penalty, you would not call that judge righteous, would you? I wouldn't. Absolutely not. If somebody did any harm to me and then they were caught, I would want the judge that they stand before to pass swift judgment on them to whatever the punishment that they deserve for their crime and to pass judgment and to sentence them or else I would be calling for appeal. I'd be, going, I'd be getting a lawyer. I'd, I'd be going to the Supreme Court. I, I'd, I'd do anything I could so that righteous judgment was passed on the person that did the wrong. So you see, by God making atonement for Adam and Eve's sins with the death of those animals, he still punished Adam and Eve's sins. Spiritual sins, of course, by placing, it's called substitutionary atonement, by placing the guilt for Adam and Eve's sin on the heads of the animals. So that, what? So that they could be purchased back. Now again, don't misunderstand me. They still had to pay the physical payment for their sin. The Bible tells us, that, like I just read in Genesis 3, 16-19, what did they face as a result of their sin? They started dying. We were never created to die. God wanted us to live forever with Him in a physical, real body. God created us to live for, forever because there was a tree in the, garden of, in the Garden of Eden that was the tree of life, and all who ate of it would just keep living. So God never created us to die. So what did they experience? What did God tell Adam? That you're going to die. We experience still to this day, they experience in the flesh, the pain of childbirth. Childbirth wasn't supposed to be painful for women, but because of their sin, they experienced childbirth pain. Uh, God says, cursed is the ground. uh, And and you're going to work, and by your work, you're going to eat of that ground. It's not just going to come naturally to you. You're going to have to work the ground. You have to till the ground. You're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow now. And what do we see? We're still working for our money. We don't just get to sit back and creation just doesn't, you know, oh, there it is. All oh, we just have to go out and pick it, and there it is. We have to plant it and sow it and till it, or, or we're going to work our jobs. And by the sweat of our brow, we eat. God also said that the the ground was going to start to produce thorns and thistles. And that's where all our weeds came from. So we're still experiencing a a creation full of sin. Our bodies full of sin. We're still under this curse in our physical bodies. But this atonement was not for our physical bodies. This atonement by these animals was for our spiritual bodies, for our eternities. And we're still under all those curses today. So the physical animals' bodies had to be sacrificed so that people didn't have to pay for their sins eternally being separated from God and being separated from God as Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. And then they, the relationship was never still right, but still they still talked with God. They still had a relationship with God. It was just never the same. So, I, you know, saying all this, could, could something could well up. You know, I love animals. And I know maybe you guys love animals too. And there's a lot of people in the world that love animals. So I hope you don't hear this and say, you know, I really think ill of God for killing all these poor, innocent animals for my sin. Well, you know, it didn't have to be that way. Well, you got to understand he did it again because he loved us. He loved us and he longed to have an intimate relationship with us as as we saw and as we still see to this day. He did it because he longed to have humanity back in fellowship and as his friends. The Word of God says that He loves all His creation, though, and that would include animals. Well, how would you say, well, how would God love animals if He's allowing them to be killed for the sins of mankind? Well, I know this may sound weird, but in the book of Revelation, in the Bible, we see that there's animals in heaven. So you see, just because animals die in the flesh, we know animals go to heaven with God because they're not sinners. They don't have free will like people. They can't break God's laws and and make God angry and then sin and and you know God send them to hell so we see a picture of animals in heaven so what do we know that even though all those animals were sacrificed for the sins of mankind when they died they went to be in heaven with God anyway so I mean it's kind of a catch-22 they actually got peace you know in, in eternity and then they got to be out of here and then they got to serve a dual purpose too, to allow us by God, by the atonement, to be in a right relationship with God. Because I know it hurt God to kill his animals. But in the same way, it hurt him more that we broke and we break still to this day his laws and his rules and we separate ourselves from him by our sin. So, but you may be saying, do I need animal sacrifices for myself today? Do I still need to be sacrificing animals to get rid of my sins today? No, absolutely not. You see, God, the God of all creation, he doesn't deal in anything but perfection. God is a God of absolute perfection. And what do I mean by that? Fortunately for the animal, fortunately for all animals, God had made a perfect plan to make atonement for the sins of mankind, and they were not included because they were just animals. Look at the way the writer of Hebrews says it in 10, 1 through 4. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So you see, the sin of the animals never could make us perfect before God, as we just read there. For, they, for then they would not have ceased to be offered, because as we see to this day... Animals are not still offered, neither in Judaism nor anywhere in the world are animals offered for the sins of mankind. They're offered in other religions for different reasons, but not for the sins of any people. So here what we see in Judaism, that they were ceased, they stopped to be offered. For the worshippers. once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins every year as the people would continue to come to God by, you know, because they sin. God gave them a plan. He said, when you sin, you know, if you do this, take a bull. And take them to the priest and then sacrifice the bull right there. And this is on through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So God gave a plan, like I mentioned earlier, of you know for the sacrifice of these animals for the remission of sins throughout the first five books of the Old Testament. And then the whole religion of Judaism was based on this. But in those sacrifices, there are a reminder of, there's a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So you see that... You see there that the sacrifices of those bulls and goats and rams did not take away the sins of mankind, but rather just covered them. And they did not make the people who sacrificed those animals perfect or sinless. The people that sacrificed those animals, their sins were only covered. They were never made perfect before God. And like I said earlier, God deals in perfection and perfection only. So we see there that the sacrifices of these bulls and goats, again, never made us sinless or perfect in God's sight. God is perfect. He does whatever is perfect. So he had to come up with a perfect sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He had to come up with a perfect plan so that the perfect sacrifice would make people that came to him with this sacrifice perfect. And since the blood of bulls and goats and rams didn't do that, God had to come up with one that was better. But there's a problem. There's only one that's perfect. Does anybody know who that is? Of course, the only one that's perfect is God Almighty. Only God is perfect. The Bible says that no one else, nothing else is perfect but God Almighty. So you heard me right, since only God's perfect, and God had to have a perfect sacrifice, and God had to have this perfect sacrifice, make those that came by the sacrifice perfect, there was only one that could do that. The Bible tells us the one that had to do that was God's only begotten son. God literally himself had to come in the form of a man, live the perfect life, which we know that Jesus Christ did, and then die for the sins of mankind. We read about it as a little shadow between Abraham and Isaac as Abraham's taking Isaac up on the mountain to go sacrifice. Cause God came to Abraham one day and he said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only begotten son. And I want you to take him up on the mountain and I want you to murder him. And so Abraham didn't argue with God. And so Abraham takes Isaac up on the, on the mountain. And while they're walking, you know, Isaac, a lot of, a lot of biblical stories portray this, and this is wrong. And I want to just kind of set the story straight here. Isaac, people think in the Bible there was only just an infant, maybe two, three, four years old. Well, the Bible records that Isaac actually carried the wood for his own sacrifice. Well, a two or three-year-old couldn't carry enough wood to sacrifice themselves. And we read, if you read contextually, Isaac was about 12 or 13 here. So Abraham was not forcing Isaac. God gave Isaac, or uh, God gave Abraham a command, take Isaac up on the mountain, sacrifice your son, your only begotten son, on the mountain, which is a picture of Christ to come later, they get up on the mountain, they're talking, and Isaac just looks over at Abraham and he says, Dad, yeah, you know, there's a problem here. We got the wood, and we got the fire, and everything else, but where's the sacrifice? And the Bible literally records that Abraham says, oh, don't worry, son, I'm paraphrasing. God will provide himself a sacrifice. So we see as they made it up on the mountain, and Isaac, or Abraham's about to plunge the knife into Isaac, Isaac's chest to sacrifice him as a burnt offering that right there an angel of the Lord called out to Abraham and he said stop, wait, look and over in the thickets there was a ram that was stuck in the thickets and God said use him well that ram was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ which was the perfect lamb of God to come to step into the world to save us from our sins to atone for our sins so you see that God even foreshadowed that with Abraham up on the mountain enter Jesus Christ. Look at what God said of the Messiah in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, 4, 5, and 10. Or 4 through 5 and 10. Look what God said of the Messiah, what the Messiah was going to do for our sins. Isaiah 53, 4 and 4 through 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And in case you're wondering, transgressions and iniquities, those are all types of sin. And he goes on to say, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. As I said earlier, enter Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice for God that came to atone for the sins of mankind. And that was foretold of Christ about 800 years before he lived. Verse 10, it gets better. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. You see, so that was a, a messianic prophecy out of Isaiah chapter 53 that spoke about what the Christ was going to do for mankind, how the Christ was going to come. And die for the sins of man. And what exactly that sacrifice was going to entail. That sacrifice was going to cover or or wipe away. He was going to take all our sins upon himself. And be able to wipe them clean so that we could have peace. Same example as we saw in Matthew chapter 17. Where after Christ steps in, the disciples had peace. So what did God do? He gave Jesus Christ, or you could say himself, as grace for humanity. For our atonement, and He took the punishment that sin brought, that we deserved. Jesus took it, the punishment that we deserve for our sin, and He placed it on His only Son. That's what God did. He placed that He placed that deserving sin, that that sack, that that consequence of sin that we would have had to pay eternally, eternally, and He placed it on His Son, so that we did not have to perish eternally apart from Him in hell. But with him, and him as our sacrifice and our atonement, have everlasting life and fellowship with him. Or you could say it like this, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we know the word believe there biblically. And if you want, you can look it up in your own concordance. The word believe there just doesn't mean a mental belief. So we got to read it a little different way to understand the real Greek, the Koine Greek. Let's read it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever repents and puts total faith in his sacrifice for our sins should not perish but have everlasting life. Because the word believe there in the King James is believeth. And it means total confidence, total faith, not in yourself, but in Christ to die for your sins so that whoever would believe in him, put their total faith in him, put their total confidence in him, put their total trust in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to see, because I I like visuals, and even though I don't have any here, because I don't have any bored behind me or anything. I like to give these little stories, these little accounts that help you see what Jesus did for you, what the atonement of Christ really meant. I like to give these visual pictures. So I want you to imagine something in your mind right now. You're caught guilty in a foreign country where they just still brutally murder people because that happens all over the world except in America. We're too soft on criminals here. So you're caught in a foreign country and you're caught and they caught you red-handed and there's lots of witnesses and and you were caught harming an individual terribly and they said that that punishment for that sin in that country was death by firing squad so now here you are days later and you're oh my gosh you're about to die by firing squad so you're standing up there and they say you know do you have any last words to say like they always say you know, do you have any last words to say before you know we pull the trigger you don't have any last words and right as you, uh, I'm done, and you're you're crying because oh my gosh, what did I do? And I'm gonna die, and they're gonna shoot me. Oh my gosh! And you're the lines and there's lines of guys, and they're ready, and they're gonna shoot you. Right before they do, an individual steps up, and he steps in and stands in front of you, and he says, "No, no, I love this man, and under your country's law, I know that if anybody steps in for him, I'll take the penalty." What he did. I'll stand here. I'll let you kill me. I'll let you shoot me. I'll stand here before I'll I'll willingly do it as long as you let him go. And by that country's law, because of course this country relates to the Bible, it's atonement. That's a picture of atonement. That's a picture of what Christ did for you on the cross. They let you go. And they stand up the person that stepped in there, and they fire, and he shot dead because of your sin. Wow, what a picture of love. Because as I said, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for all mankind by his death on the cross. He became the substitutionary atonement for our sins. Even though we deserve for our own sins to be put to death eternally, not just face the consequences for Adam and Eve's sin, because we're all doing that already until we go to be glorified or we die out of these bodies and we go into the next world, next eternity. We're already suffering those. God said, even though you deserve to be put to death eternally, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to put my son in here to take your place and get you out of that. If... Of course, you could say, if you accept that sacrifice. Now, if you don't consider that love with all caps, I don't know what else is. Because I don't know anybody that loves me that much that would do something like that for me. Especially somebody that maybe a stranger didn't even know me. Look at how the Apostle Paul describes this love. Romans 5, 6-9. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what we all are. The Bible says that we're all sinners. And so because we're all sinners, we're all ungodly in God's eyes. He says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. And you could see that, you know, just maybe, just maybe, I might Put my life on the line for somebody that's really, 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 really righteous. But, you know, for somebody that's ungodly, somebody that's a real, you know, bad dude, murderer, rapist, child molester, I wouldn't put myself in their position just because, you know, I would think to myself, well, they did the crime, let them do the time. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. Remember, He considers us ungodly. And that while we were still sinners, while. We are still ungodly. Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. That's the substitutionary atonement that Jesus Christ made for you and for me and for every single person that's lived since He was born and died a brutal death and what wrath do we need to be saved from, you might be asking. Well, pastor, you never said anything about wrath. Well, the Bible talks about that. It's actually God's wrath and his righteous judgment for our sin, and the sentence that he will have to administer to any that don't accept this perfect sacrifice. Any that accept this perfect sacrifice are considered alive to God. Any that don't accept this perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, are considered dead to God by their own will. They don't want to accept the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. They're considered dead. But look at the judgment of the dead. Look at God's wrath in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. This would be God Almighty. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Now, did you hear that? How scary God is without the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ here. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, those not those that didn't accept the sacrifice of God's atonement, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works." if you're accepting the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your life, you're considered alive to God. If you're not, you're considered dead. And if you're considered dead to God, then he will judge you at the end of days in this, what they call the great white throne judgment. And this is how scary and fiery this judgment will be. That the whole earth and all of heaven will flee from the face of God. This is how wrathful God is in this day. He says to you, if you're in that position, you chose not to accept my my sacrifice, so you're going to stand before me on your good merit. But the only sacrifice I'll accept is my son. So now, because you didn't want to accept my sacrifice, I'm going to judge you. And he is a mighty, consuming fire judge here, dishing out retribution on all those who rejected The sacrifice of his son. So there's only a couple things left to do. That's to find out today, you know, because this great atonement, you know, it's like the greatest gift ever given. We're all sinners. God didn't have to do anything. He could have just said, ah, they've broken my laws, they've broken my commandments. Let them go. You know what? Let them get what they deserve. They all sinned, they all broke my laws. I'm going to step back and I'm just going to let them face my wrath at the end of days because they're all sinners and they deserve it. But he didn't. He gave this great atonement in Jesus Christ. And he gave great atonement for all of mankind through his son, Jesus Christ. So to lose that, to let that go, would be the worst crime ever committed by anybody. If somebody offered you a million dollars right now, I don't know anybody in the world that I know personally that if somebody offered them a million dollars, that they wouldn't take it. But yet this atoning sacrifice that God gave in Christ is worth way more than a million dollars because even if you were to get a million dollars, one day you'll die. And one day that million dollars will go to somebody else. It'll be left in his inheritance to somebody else. But what you did here, whether you accepted that sacrifice or whether you rejected it, will matter your eternity where you'll spend umpteen millions of billions of trillions of unlimited years suffering God's wrath for your sin all because you didn't accept his atoning sacrifice for your life nobody and don't be mistaken nobody at that judgment of God will make it to heaven they will all be judged and they'll all be cast into the lake of fire So a question for all of us that we should all be asking ourselves today. Is my name written in the book of life? Or will I be standing there at that great judgment where you have to face God apart from Jesus Christ that paid for your sins, but you'll stand there apart from him, and you'll have to pay for your own sins before the wrath of God, before this righteous judge of all the earth. So if you're thinking in your mind right now, here's the wrong things to be thinking, okay? Here's the wrong things, the wrong attitude of the heart, the wrong way. Here's the rejections. You'll be there if you're thinking right now, well, you know what? I'm a pretty darn good person. You know, done a lot of good in my day. I I, I won't be in that judgment. God, God loves me after all, and I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Well, you'll be in that judgment. I'll explain why. Just give me a few minutes. You'll be in that judgment. Uh, I believe in God. You know, he's there, and wow, he's awesome, and wow, I love him and everything, but man, God's there. I I believe in God. Well, you'll be there too. I believe that I've lived a good life, done a lot of good things, helped a lot of people. I donated to charities, man. I I was a pretty good Joe, and God loves me. You know, so because God loves me and, you know, God so loved the whole world, you know, after all. And, you know, I, I won't be there, you know, because God loves me. Well, you'll be there too. You may be offended by what I just said, but that is true. All There's a lot of people that consider themselves good in hell right now. There's a lot of people that even consider themselves religious that are in hell right now. None of these things will keep you from that judgment of God because... You cannot make atonement or payment for your sins. Notice those things. Well, God loves me. Well, because He loves me, there's no, there's no sacrifice there. There's no atonement there. You just a head knowledge of well, God loves me. Well, I have a head knowledge that the sun is out there, and there's a moon, and there's the stars, and we're in my house, and I'm preaching right now. I have the knowledge of all these things, but that knowledge doesn't save anybody. Anything doesn't save anybody of anything, especially not before God, because basically you're saying, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I can stand before God, and I'll stand before him, you know, because I'm a pretty good, genuine, good guy. Well, in God's eyes, unless there's that atoning sacrifice there, you won't get to be in eternal life with him. You'll be at that judgment. And Jesus hit it right on the nail on the head. He said, John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what does God require as payment for your sins? The atoning death and sacrifice of the perfect payment that he gave in his son. And I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again because you know what? It's worth repeating. We have to know how to get that. And we have to practice that every day as I'll describe here. John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him or... Repents of self, stops believing in one's own self and their righteousness before God. Because if you believe that you're a good person and you believe that God will get you, allow you to get into heaven, then you believe that your goodness is enough to stop the wrath of God. You believe that your goodness is enough to atone for all of your sins before God. For number one, your goodness, there's no death there. There's no sacrifice, and there's no remission. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no blood being shed. So you have to repent. But believes in Him. That means you stop believing in yourself. You stop believing that I can get to heaven on my own. I believe because I'm a good person. That oh God will just let me into heaven. You have to stop believing that you can make it to heaven because you are such a good person. And what? Those who believe in Him should not perish to have everlasting everlasting life, and you have to put your total faith and confidence, every iota of your strength in the confidence that because Jesus Christ did what He did for your sins, that that's enough to pay for the sins that you've committed because His sacrifice was enough, not because anything you've done is good enough or enough to pay for your sins before God. And God wants this as a lifestyle, by the way, not just a one-time confession. God wants this faith. God wants this, you know, surrender away from self to him as an everyday lifestyle. Matthew 10, 37 through 39, Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Notice we have to love him first above everybody. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Notice he has to be the first person that you love in all your life. And he who does not take up his cross, we talked about that a couple few weeks ago. He does not take up his cross. What does this mean? It signifies the death of oneself. Picking up your cross in Jesus' day only meant one thing. I'm going to go and be, allow myself to be tortured and murdered on this cross, and I'm going to die. And God says, you need to die to yourself, your own way that you think I'm going to get to heaven because I'm such a good and righteous person. He who does not take up his cross. Remember, die to yourself. You can't save yourself. God's your only savior. He goes on to say, and follow after me, living that as a lifestyle, trusting in Jesus and denying yourself to save you as a lifestyle. unless you follow after me and do these things, is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Someone giving their lives to him and putting their total faith and trust in his ability to save you and not your own. And that's what the atonement means. The atonement of Jesus Christ for the payment of your sins. Nothing you do, good or bad, or as good as you could be, whatever and will ever get you to heaven, because it's not the one sacrifice for your sins that God is looking for. He's only going to be looking for one thing when you get to stand before him on the day when you go to die. And he either says heaven or hell. He's he's looking for is the death of my son, is the atonement, the blood of Christ covering this man, or is it not? Because if it's not, everything you good is worthless. Everything you bad is worthless, and you'll be judged for that on that last day. Everything bad. There's only one thing God's looking for. So I hope and pray that everybody listening, ever to this message, ever, will take these things to heart and realize you can't save yourself, and there's only one sacrifice that God's looking for. The love and the sacrifice of his only begotten son. If anybody hasn't done that, please don't let this gift of God slip out of your hands. If you let this gift of God slip out of your hands, then you will stand before God on your own sins, even though he wanted to save you, even though he loved you and gave his only son for you. You'll stand before God on your own sins and have to pay for them before God. So just keep that in mind. And please, if you're not there, go home. And turn to God and say, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I, you know what? I need Christ's atonement for my, for my sins. I can't die without him. I need you, God. I need you. Go out and cry to him in your heart right now or later. Just do it. Please do it. Because you don't want to let this gift go to waste. It's the greatest gift that God ever gave. The gift of his only begotten son. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this message, Lord. Thank you so much for the definition of atonement. Thank you so much that you gave this atonement to us, Lord God. Because, Lord, like I said earlier, you could have just said, I'm done. Mankind's sinned before me. Mankind's blown it before me. That's it. I'm just, I'm done with them. I'll just let them go. And that last day, I'll judge them all and I'll cast them all into the lake of fire. Lord, you had every right to do that. Lord, You had every right to send us to hell, Lord, every single one of us, Lord, because the Bible says we're all sinners and all fallen short of the glory of God. But, Lord, because of your love, you just couldn't stand by because you are a God of love. You couldn't just stand by and just watch us all plummet to our doom. So you had to give a way out, Lord, and you are the God of way outs. You're the God of second chances, Lord. You are the God of love, and you gave your only Son to die for our sins, Lord, so that all who would turn to you and embrace him as their way, as their life, as their truth, but all those that embraced you and your sacrifice for us Jesus, would not have to perish in eternal flames of fire forever, but would have everlasting life because that's how much you love us. And Lord, I pray that everybody listened to this message would just like in our Matthew 17 <clears throat> chapter, in our last verse in verse nine it says, "Now as they came down from the mountain, so the disciples, Realize this great love in Christ that he stepped in for them, Lord. And what did they do? They decided to follow Jesus. <laughs> Lord, I just pray that everybody that will ever hear this, Lord, would just make a decision to, see, to just because of your love say, I, I must love this God back. I can't go any longer. I must love this God back. Even though I'm so dirty and filthy, Lord, you say just come as you are and just come and cling to me and cling to my sacrifice and stop trying to be your own Savior and stop trying to save yourself. Lord, I just pray that people would cry out to you in repentance and turn to you this very day. I love you and I praise you and I thank you, dear God. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.